everybody. I want to welcome you to EI on the Fly, our podcast about all things early intervention. I'm Dana Childress from Virginia, and I'm here with Emily. You want to introduce yourself, Emily? Yeah, I am Emily Webb, and I'm the training coordinator for the Early Intervention Training Center in Massachusetts. Great. Thank you. So Emily and I, um, we're pretty excited to try out something new with these podcasts. And we're trying to bring you discussions that around early intervention practices. And today um, we're go- in our second episode in our discussion on functional assessment. So today we're going to talk about observation, which is a really important component of um, functional assessment and actually one we touched on last time. So episode one covered kind of an overview of what functional assessment looks like and why it's important. And from here on out, we're gonna sort of hone in on different different components and really how they apply throughout the early intervention process. So um, I'm gonna turn it over to Emily to get us started by really thinking about what really is observation in early intervention. Thank you. So I recently saw a um, definition for observation that I just loved in the context of early intervention, and they defined ob- observation as watching and listening to learn. And I just was like, that that is the definition. Um, it, it's so that. important. It is. Yeah. It's. I don't know. I really liked it. So if we think about when I talk to you know my. Uh, teams here in early in Massachusetts, I often get, but don't we observe all the time? Or if I ask, when do you observe? Oftentimes the answer, you know, when I'm doing a training is all the time. I observe all the time. And I think people are right, you know, as a early intervention provider, it really is kind of your job. And one of your main roles is to always be sort of watching and observing and learning. But the thing about working in early intervention is there's always something else to do. There's so much multitasking in early intervention. You know, you might be watching and, you know, a grandma comes home and, you know, she's, you know, doing her welcome or you might be watching, but you also have a home visit note to write, or you might be watching and, um, you notice that like, oh my gosh, the child's going to trip and fall. I've got to like help him. I got to move that toy out of the way. Or you might be watching during the evaluation, but then there's all this kind of paperwork that's happening at the same time. And it's really important when we're thinking about this idea of clinical observation or watching to listen and learn that we need to take a step back and be really intentional about our observations to really say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to stop and I'm going to observe right now because this is really important. Um, Truly observing is not figuring out the why behind the what. Truly observing is just gathering information again, to help you learn. It's going to give you more information. It's going to help you learn about, you know, how does that child engage? What does that child like? How does, how does this family function? It's um, going to give you a, a lot of that information about, you know, what, what's happening? What's happening when you're there? What do, what do you see? And then later you can really think about, well, what do those observations tell me? That's a really good, a really interesting way to think about observation that I think is hard for me. So one of the things, Emily, I mentioned last episode, I work for Virginia's training team, but I'm also doing some early intervention on the side as an educator. So when I'm with families, I often have to be really mindful not to 
insert myself into a routine while I'm observing. So when you said the multitasking, I could see how early interventionists could say, oh yeah, I'm observing all the time, but we're also interfering a lot too. So stepping back, almost literally sitting on your hands and taking the time to just absorb what's happening. I love what you said about not figuring out the why behind the what. That's a struggle, I think, for me at least too, because when I'm watching something, I i can't help it. I'm already analyzing it, trying to figure out what's going on. What's the motivation? Why is the child doing that? And it's almost an intentional act of stopping that thought process and just making room for whatever's happening. So I yeah. love that we're talking about this and I'm going to be com- full disclosure. It's something I'm working on too. So let's talk about observation during the evaluation. Um, evaluation is a great place to be observing. I think naturally you go in, you don't know a lot about a child, a lot of times a child and family. So we know we've got to go in, you know, with our eyeballs ready to do a lot of observing. But that not figuring out the why behind the what, watching just to listen and learn is so important, especially in those initial interactions with families. I love this quote from Bagnato, Emily, that you brought to the podcast. Everything that can be measured counts, but not everything that counts can be measured. I especially love the second half of that. Not everything that counts can be measured. I think functional assessment is really all about that end of the spectrum. You know, we've got our tests, we've got our tools, um, we've got to count the widgets, a friend of mine says, or we've got to check the boxes because the child did the skill, or we are able to observe it or not. But the fact that everything that counts, not everything that counts can be measured, we need to observe and look for all that other information that doesn't necessarily come from just watching a child imitate lines or stack blocks or, you know, point to pictures in the book. So let's see. So on a multidisciplinary evaluation, I think, you know, the the great thing about a multidisciplinary evaluation is you have multiple people there doing observing from different perspectives. So ideally, it's awesome to be able to combine that information to really get a good picture of the child. But we have to think about during the evaluation, like I said, for myself, that can be a struggle is remembering to just observe, just observe to listen and learn, not trying necessarily to get at that answer for why a child is doing something right away. I think if we jump to trying to figure out the answer, we can probably miss information that we would need that would help us get there. So one of my favorite times to observe a child um, is actually before the technically before the formal evaluation begins. I do love the idea of just warming the child up, just engaging, being a little playful with the child, maybe playing with toys the child has or books or whatever the child likes to do. Playing a a good game of peekaboo can do wonders. Um, Just engaging the child in some play prior to the testing. It can give you lots of information and I think it can help guide you on where you might want to focus your attention for future observations. Maybe where you might want to ask some questions as as the evaluation gets underway to help you gather the information that will eventually help you figure out the why. Because I do think evaluation is, part of evaluation is figuring out why things are happening but for observation that's at the well it's an ongoing process but I think we if you approach observation for sort of that openness let's just see what's happening and then we'll figure out the why yeah I think all of the things that you just talked about too though really back up what we talked about in our last episode is that you have to do functional assessment along with this sort of formal evaluation. And these are kind of some concrete tips that you just gave people as a way to do both kind of in at the same time. Yeah, another 
observation that I love doing during the assessment is really watching the parent and child interact some. And it is a un, sometimes uncomfortable, unfamiliar situation for them. They've probably not in, been in an assessment, especially at the initial assessment before. But anytime there's opportunities for that parent and child to engage each other, even if the child is just snuggling into the parent for some comfort, those little moments are great, great little bits of information for you to have to help you understand the child and the family, which is part of what functional assessment's all about. Mm-hmm. One of my one of my favorite things is just watching like when you get out those um, toys, you know, I had said before, we use the Battelle here in Massachusetts and like you get out like the little dog and the child picks it up and then they look back at their parent. And I, I it's yeah. just it's it's always like the best thing to sort of just see like what what face do they have? Do they do they offer them the toy? Do they use like um language or do they just kind of do it silently and then watching like how does the the parent respond it's those are like some of the best interactions to just kind of watch and kids and parents do that back and forth all day long and they don't even necessarily realize that that's what you do that all day long you know that's a great point. I remember we used to take this suitcase, like a suitcase full of toys for our assessment kit. So, you know, this child sees a box come in. Some kids are really excited. Some kids don't want anything to do with it. But as the suitcase gets unzipped and the child can see what's inside, even just watching that moment to see how does that child react? Does he dive in? Does he tear everything out? Is he kind of afraid of this whole new thing? And he's, I remember having an assessment where we literally did the assessment with the child behind the mother most of the whole time because he was shy and not not feeling all these new people in his home but it took a long time for him to warm up and get more comfortable so how that that inter- initial interaction plays out it might not define how this child interacts with other people but just sitting back and observing it without judging it can can give you a lot of information especially for how to try to make this this initial interaction in early intervention as comfortable as possible because we know a child needs to be comfortable in order for them to show you what they're able to do and interact in a way that's as close as possible to every day to how they are mm-hmm. every day so lots of good information can come from observation i think the challenge can be sometimes like i said is not making a judgment about what you're observing yeah and that kind of leads me into the next thing is really this idea that observing is not inferring um, and that can be really hard and I know when I was an EI provider that was really hard for me you know parents are looking to you as the expert they're looking to you as answers there's there's a reason why they signed that IFSP and they're you know taking the time out of their busy week to meet with you and they they want to know they want they want to know what are you seeing what do you think what what is this telling you what what should we be doing how how should we move forward um and it's our job to you know give parents those those information that information and answer those questions but we really want to think about that um when we're doing observation we don't want to turn all of our observations into um an inference that's such a great point i learned somewhere emily um thinking about it just occurred to me that it's kind of the same concept the idea of noticing without judgment so I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, but it's the same kind of thing. Just notice what's happened without trying to infer meaning or judge what or why, like just being open to whatever happens. So important. Yeah. Yeah. 
So oftentimes, like as a professional development person, I'll, I'll do exercises around, um, observing. And so one of my favorite exercises that we do often here in our sort of orientation trainings in Massachusetts is we play a a video clip. It's a quick, it's like a minute and seven seconds. Um, and then we ask people to state their, what they observed, give us your observations. And a lot of times they'll say things like mom seemed to be disengaged or the child really likes the puzzle and thinking about that. Those really are inferences our observation didn't tell us if the mom was disengaged or not. And we don't really know if the child liked the puzzle. So really thinking about what were our observations, we, an observation might be that mom looked towards the child and responded no without making eye contact. That's actually what, what happened, what we saw and what we heard. Um, or, or, you know, the child played with the puzzle, trying to put the orange piece in using his left hand for two minutes. Those are very different things than saying that a child really liked the puzzle. And it's going to give us different information when we are just, again, doing that watching to listen and learn. You know, I think as you were talking, I was thinking, ooh, guilty, totally guilty as charged. I've probably (laughs) written those things. But don't you think it takes a level of reflection, especially, well, whether you're a new practitioner or you've been doing it a while, especially probably if you've been doing this for a while, to catch yourself and be aware of when you're making those kind of inferences and thinking, okay, if I back up, what was really happening in this moment? I think you'd almost have to, especially like me, if you've done the inferences before, back up and think what was what was really objectively happening here and how can I capture that? Because you might capture it in your notes as you're doing the assessment. These might be things that end up in the assessment summary in the IFSP. Um, and we know we need to be as objective as possible because we are just at the point of getting to know the family too. So spending that time reflecting on what you do, what you say, how you write, it's probably a pretty important takeaway. It certainly would be for me if I were listening to this episode. Yeah, absolutely. And then the next thing when we're strictly just observing is not giving answers. And this is another thing I found this really hard as an EI provider. You know, I I would observe and then I would quickly turn it into, well, here's what I saw or here's what I thought. And then, you know, I might do another observation and I would be like, oh, this is telling me this and this and this. Um, but and again, that's that's your part of your job as an early intervention provider is to sort of, you know, along with the family and the team, come up with answers. But when you're observing just to really watching and listening to learn, it, you're, you're not coming up with answers. You want to, kind of like what you said, just sort of sit on your hands and, and watch and take all of that information in. And we know that functional assessment needs to happen ongoing and it needs to happen over time and in different settings. And so if we think about, you know, if I observed you for two minutes at childcare and then maybe I observed you for three minutes playing at the park with your grandpa and I observed you for, you know, two minutes as you were... I don't know, getting dropped off at daycare from your mom. And then I took all of that information and turned it into some kind of conclusions and answers. I'm going to have so much more information to go on versus if I just did the, um, 
daycare observation and then gave answers. And I just gave the uh, answers based on the playground observation and then just gave answers on the drop-off. Right. So I think part of what you're talking about is integrating all the information you get. And and when we can get that information from multiple places, when we do get to the point of trying to figure out some some not information to share with families, we're certainly going to get a lot more information when we have those richer observations across places, people, time. Definitely. So one of the challenges I know we've heard in Virginia, um, and I doubt this is unique to us, is trying to figure out how to make observation comfortable. And, you know, there's a, a slide and a phrase that I've used in training that's don't give families the hairy eyeball. So the hairy eyeball is like you're just sort of staring at them and watching what they're doing without an explanation or without them understanding why. I mean, you can understand how uncomfortable the hairy eyeball would be. So we really need to think about when we're doing observation um, making sure that we're comfortable with what we do, we're know, we know what we're doing, but we're also explaining the importance of observation to families, helping them know our role, why we want to do intentional observation, um, and helping them know how long it's going to last, how the information is going to be used, those kind of things, especially initially when parents don't really know what to expect in the early intervention relationship. Um I think helping families understand the why there that we, you know, we just want to learn about what they're doing or we're just observing just to see how things go. You know, we try to make it a safe place that parents won't mind us observing. And then I think over time, as you build that rapport, observation typically does become more comfortable. I know I've had practitioners also worry that if I'm just observing, the parent's going to think I'm not doing anything, that I'm just sitting there and, and parents might be expecting us to be playing with their child or, or, or whatever. And I always feel like if if you're worried about that, then to me, it could mean that you need to think a little bit more about how you're explaining what you're doing and why to the family. Help them understand. Ask for permission to observe before you even do. Lay it out ahead of time so that the family knows, knows the importance and how that information will help with their intervention plan. Um, we also talk about in Virginia, and I'm sure that's not unique to here either, but helping parents provide us with observational information too. The parents have way more opportunities to observe their child than we do. So encourage the parents to observe their child and share their observations with you. Um, we talk, we'll talk in another episode about the importance of really hearing these observations and showing families not only that we heard them, but we're taking their observations seriously, that it has meaning. Um, in, uh, in Virginia, I recently had a service provider tell me that she has started encouraging families to record um, routines or challenges or, you know, things that go well, things that are challenging on the parent's mobile phone. And then that parent would text the video to the service provider between visits. Um, They would also go back and revisit the video at the start of the next visit. And they could use that as a jump off point for their next session. So she's found that useful just to help um, keep the, the parent be successful implementing intervention between sessions, but also also, it helped her um, observe things and almost see them through the parents' eyes, especially when there were routines that she wasn't able to join, like maybe bath time in the evening or, you know, how the child does in the church nursery on Sundays. So it was a great way to take advantage of technology and um, and, and give the parent an active role to, in helping the provider really understand what's going on through observation. 
I think it's also a great way just to show families that I really do care what what's happening in in your everyday and that your priorities really are my priorities and I want to help you you know with your priorities. Absolutely and to let the parent know to convey that message that what we do for our 45 minutes or our hour typically once a week is really such a small little nugget of time in your entire week. So, you know, and this I think a big a big goal of service providers is to support what's happening all the rest of that time when we're not there. So talking, talking about observations, making them, whether it's in person or by video, just helps kind of encourage that idea that intervention happens all, uh, can happen all the time, not just during when the service provider's there. Yeah. Um, yeah. We also want to encourage parents to share their observations, not necess- not just of the challenges, but also to help us understand how the child interacts, how the child meets his needs across people and places. So even sometimes bigger than just the one environment where the child might spend a lot of time, often often the home. So I know you have an example of this, Emily, with your daughter. Yeah, you know, I shared some observations that led to my daughter getting glasses at 17 months. So I noticed just things like she could stand and she could pop bubbles, but she couldn't stand and pop bubbles at the same time. Or I also noticed like she loved books and she would sit and look at books forever. She'd pull book after book after book out of the basket and she would flip through them. And then I would put her on my lap and I would try to read read her a book because like, isn't that what parents are supposed to do every night? That's what I thought anyway, you know? And mm-hmm. she would become completely uninterested in the book. And I was like, huh, like, why did that happen? And right. if I hadn't shared those observations, she wouldn't have gotten glasses. And I remember talking to my pediatrician and he was like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't see a vision issue here. But because I was able to really share these observations, she was able to get glasses. And my husband and I talk about, even still, she's, you know, four and a half now. And we talk about how if she had not had those glasses, she would be a very different kid today. She like, and she might still not have them, but because I was able to, you know, observe and I was able to give those observations and somebody was able to hear those observations, um, ultimately it benefited her. The other thing I think about, um, thinking about having parents share their observations. I think that that is a skill. And we talked, you know, in the last episode about this idea of lifelong learning. And that is a skill that will go with parents their entire parenting journey. If you have the ability to observe your child and really just sit back and watch them, it's going to tell you a lot about, you know, maybe when their behavior changes or something is bothering them or something seems off or maybe you need to bring something up to, you know, the school or a medical person. And that's a skill that is going to benefit all kids and all families. You know, I agree. And it makes me think about um, experiences that I've had observing children with more significant disabilities, maybe multiple disabilities or more significant motor concerns, where the child might not 
be able to obviously engage others in the environment in ways that maybe a more typically developing child might be able to, but sitting back and observing, trying to discover how that child engages the environment without observation, you could miss it. Um, I worked with one little girl years ago who had multiple significant disabilities and we were struggling to figure out how she communicated, you know, find a consistent pattern to her communication. Um, and after a couple of sessions of just really observing her, you know, we would make a comment to her, ask her to do something and just watching, we figured out she would move one arm and she would just raise it a little bit, just a little off the bed or a little off of her, her wheelchair tray. And over time, over observing across time, multiple of us observed, we noticed a pattern that this was really her way of saying yes, that she wanted something. And when she wanted, when it was no, it was much more clear. She would turn her head, let us know, but the yes was harder to find. And um, I vividly remember her um, mother coming into the session because I typically met with her nurse. Um, her mother coming into the session, I was like, you got to watch this and see. So we, we offered her a choice of a toy. Which one did she want? Um, and I knew she wanted that she loved this toy, but I wasn't going to give it to her until she raised her arm, until she told me. And her mom was looking at me like, give her the toy. I said, no, she can tell us. She can tell us. Because, you know, for that mom, it was probably painful. But I said, I watch what she does. And and she did. It took two or three times to prompt her. She raised up that toy. And her mom just tears started rolling down Aww. her face. And she said, I've never had a way to know what she wanted. It was so powerful. It still gives me a lump in my throat to think about it. And her her older brother, um, who was only a couple years older than her, got so behind it. And he didn't want to give her anything unless she raised her <laughs> arm. Like the whole family got so excited by this thing we learned about her. She'd probably been doing for a while, but if we hadn't been observing, really just trying to be open with however she used her body to communicate who knows, we were probably missing it already for a while, but it was one of those really, uh, you know, just makes your heart kind of fluffy moments. Like you're just so happy you discovered it. Um, but it came down to observation. So observation, that wide open observation can make a difference lots of different ways. Whether now that uh, my example wasn't on an initial assessment was more of that, more of that idea of ongoing assessment, just yeah. always watching to see what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I think that this kind of leads us into that observing can help us see things about like what's interesting, what's motivating, mm -hmm. and how children are sort of forming relationships. When we think about what does the research say about how does the birth to three population learn, they learn by being interested in something and being interested in it motivates them. And when they are motivated in something, they are able to explore it. And then exploration leads to mastery. And then the cycle happens all over again. And so without observation, we're not necessarily gonna know what a child is interested in. Um, we might not know what motivates them. And if we don't if we don't know that information, how can we sort of encourage this cycle of learning? Um, I think it's also you know important that this this um, doing this also and understanding this information from the parents' perspective can be really helpful for planning services going forward. Um, you know, my daughter, she was a year old and she was still not pulling up. Um, and, you know, through observation, we realized, and she was a kid that we didn't really know what she was interested in. It was really, it was hard to understand. I remember it was like Easter time. And I remember saying to my husband, I have no idea what I would ever put in her Easter basket. Like, 
she she just kind of likes to look at faces. Um, and, you know, we did some observation and we kind of realized, hey, she's she likes music. And I remember we turned the music on and <laughs> she pulled up onto the um, handle of the stove and she started like bopping. And we were so excited that she was like bearing weight on her legs. And we were like, oh, this has oh, opened wow. like a whole new new world and if we hadn't really picked up on that observation of like music is interesting to her and because it's interesting it motivates her we really kind of would have missed that opportunity or we definitely wouldn't have been able to do it in a way that was so organic to her it would have been more of sort of forcing her to bear weight on her legs um it's a great example yeah. Once we know what's motivating and interesting, we can understand their persistence. We can understand kids' temperaments. And these things play a huge role in figuring out how they're going to master skills, how they're going to acquire new skills. Um, we also want to know information about their ind- uh, independence, their social relationships, how do they interact, how do they respond. All of this information is going to help make our intervention strategies that much more successful. Absolutely. So I think what we hope um, you guys listening to the podcast will take away today is the importance of observation. And I encourage you to spend some time almost observing yourself, thinking about how you're using observation, how you're approaching it, what kind of information you're trying to gather, and remind yourself over the coming days as you're on assessments, or maybe you're out on your visits, remind yourself to be watching, to listen and learn, to be mindful of your inferences, catch yourself doing it and think about how can you be objective and just be wide open to capturing whatever's happened, happening because all of that information, as we've talked about today, so much good information that will help you as you move forward to providing support to the family. So our next episode, as we wrap up today, next time we will talk with uh, about another component of functional assessment. That component is asking meaningful questions. So we're going to dive into thinking about formal interviews versus informal conversations. What questions should you ask? And sort of the importance of asking good open-ended questions, questions that help families reflect, um, because it's a great way to take um, those observations even further and learn at a deeper level what's important to families and and where to go next with the intervention. So we've hope you've enjoyed this episode and will join us again next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you.